0: Morning, you're listening to two double ninety eight point three. The program is subject to ACT. For the next thirty minutes, we explore local current affairs from an informed and independent standpoint. My name is Becca Postorino, the executive producer of the program. Lovely to have your company today. Today we weave our way back to the ACT elections and invite ACT community groups, specifically the chairs of two significant community councils, to share their insights and concerns in the lead up to the ACT election. Firstly, I met with North Canberra Community Council Chair Mike Hettinger, who explains how community consultation is essential regarding planning and development, and the ACT Government is often remiss to effectively invite community collaboration, resulting in property development, not necessarily adhering to overall community interests. In September, North Canberra Community Council will host a Quiz the Candidates forum open to all community members to engage with the 2016 ACT election candidates on issues impacting their community. I also met with Inner South Community Council Chair Gary Kent and similarly discussed property development as well as the issue of transparency and preservation of heritage sites in the Inner South as key concerns for community members. In the lead-up to the 2016 ACT election, candidates will make efforts to publicly address community concerns and the community has the opportunity to attend and participate in these debates. Thank you for joining us today on Local Current Affairs Program Subject ACT on Two ninety eight 98.3. Coming up next, Mike Hedinger, Chair of North Canberra Community Council. I'm Becca Postorino. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we're talking to Mike Hedinger. He is the Chair of the North Canberra Community Council. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Becca. Thanks for being here, Mike. What is the Canberra Community Council?
1: Uh, well, the, the Council's uh, one of seven around Canberra, and I'll get into that in a bit. Um, the aim of the North Canberra Community Council is... Well, strictly speaking, and I'll take it right from the Constitution, it says protect, promote, and enhance the economic, cultural, social, and environmental well-being of the North Canberra resident community. We pursue that by trying to foster community identity in a local forum. It allows people to voice issues of concern to the community. We also promote the interests of the North Canberra resident community. We help with residents' community groups. For example, uh, a lot of suburbs in, in Canberra's inner north have their own residence associations. So we work directly with them. Uh, we look at other community groups and try and establish liaisons with them. And we do a lot of contributing, if you want to call it that, to the physical and social planning of North Canberra, you know, because a lot of issues that we deal with are planning related. We ensure that the interests of residents' groups are, are represented. And we also inform the community about issues affecting North Canberra. And yeah, we represent, represent isn't quite the right word we our coverage is the inner north so all the inner north suburbs and i said earlier there are seven community councils so uh since the two double x goes all around canberra yes. uh, i'll i'll mention them because people live Absolutely. all around canberra Please so do. yeah so we have i'll start from the north and work my way south so mm, we sure. have the gungalan community council there's the Belconnen community council I've just mentioned North Canberra Community Council. There's an inner South Canberra Community Council, Woden Valley Community Council, Weston Creek Community Council, and Tuggerong Community Council. so pretty much covers everything yeah. If I look at what we do, a lot of it is about trying to communicate between government and residents what's going on. So we get funding from the ACT government and that funding is for communicating those issues back and forth.
0: Following on from that, what is your role as as chair of the North Canberra Community okay. Council? Okay.
1: We have a we have a committee and we also have our members and well one of my jobs is to be here today. We do talk to uh, the media and other representatives. I, uh, I, I represent the North Cambridge Community Council in that capacity. I chair the meetings. The meetings consist of, at the beginning, two usually two presentations. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that could be from uh, one of the government departments or a developer, uh, another private sector organization, or sometimes we also get not-for-profits. We had COTA mm-hmm. come to us, yeah. I think it was last year, I work with the secretary to sort of plan those meetings and and also with the other members of the committee to pull those things together.
0: You're also logistics and event planning, management, but also you're collating all the issues for presentation to the community and getting community feedback. Yeah, that's right. Members. And
1: yeah, we, we um, rely a lot on our volunteers and uh, we wouldn't be able to, probably wouldn't really be able to, well, yeah. we're all volunteers, so we wouldn't be able to function without it. So there are a lot of people out there who have some expertise on different aspects, so we rely on them to provide input to us. And then we pull it together and in the case of, for example, development applications, mm-hmm. uh, we, I'll usually sign off the uh, response to you know, the government or on whatever particular issue it is. And a lot of the stuff we do is related to planning.
0: There is a property boom in Canberra and has been for some time. Are there any concerns from the North Canberra community specifically as to the rapidity of this development and the way this development has, has panned out?
1: Oh yeah, that's that's probably uh, the thing that takes up most of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our our main concern is we emphasize quality over quantity. Okay, because we, we want to look at the long run. Because whatever gets built there, wherever it is, is going to was likely going to be there for decades. So our kids are, if we're they're still living in this part of town, are going to mm-hmm. see it. or Other people are going to be there. We take that view, mm-hmm. and I suppose one of the problems we have run into is we do tend to see a lot more of quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. We also find that the planning rules aren't necessarily being enforced consistently. Mm. We find it a bit sporadic. And one of the complaints that has come up from you know those experts who provide us with advice to put things in is that we're becoming concerned with a lot of outsourcing that's taking place from the government as far as planning functions. So, for example, with knockdown rebuilds, which is happening a lot in, in the inner north now, certification is done privately. There's not much government oversight.
0: Can you explain that a little bit more? Okay, because sure. For, for oh, yeah, listeners that yeah, yeah, okay. have no idea yeah, of what yeah. a knockdown is, yeah, obviously. Okay, yeah, A knockdown is a house that is, going, that is completely demolished and is going to be rebuilt. That's correct.
1: This is something I found out the hard way because in my own neighbourhood, I live in O'Connor, I found that there was a house that had been demolished. Something huge was being rebuilt or being built over that. And I thought that's odd. I would have expected to see the you know, little yellow signs that you, you know, had been put in front of things like that. That
0: what are those yellow? Well, those signs? yellow
1: signs. You say this is a de- you know there's a development application. Mm-hmm. We're going to you know knock this down and rebuild it. It's a bit of a a description of what that development application is about.
0: And that's a government regulation. Yes. Those yellow signs. Yeah, well, it
1: used to be. And that's how I found out the hard way. That's how it had always had been as far as my knowledge had gone. And the idea is that there's a certain amount of time you can comment on it. They'll either accept or ask the you know, development to be modified. Well, I, I found out in this particular case that there was no development application with this building. So uh,
0: was this a, a residential or was this a commercial?
1: It was residential, but you might as well have thought it was commercial right. because it was huge. Did not, it did not match the surrounding, proper, you know, surrounding houses. It was not in character with, with the neighbourhood. And that's the thing, I I ended up having to do a lot of work myself that you would think the government would be doing and that's what the complaint I was gonna mention mm. is that we do a lot we feel like we're doing a lot of that regulatory mm. checking work that we feel that the government should be doing itself that's and not sure. relying on us. So in this particular case I had to go I had to research all the way back to 2007 because that's when the uh, the planning and development act got modified and at the time they had a few different ways of looking at evaluating construction or developments and at the time development application was supposed to be something called code track, merit track and impact track. So code track was the simplest and it went up to merit and the biggest ones were impact. Mm. And
0: so these pertain to residential?
1: Residential and commercial. Mm-hmm. But it, I think the, it, what, I, what I understood at the time or from reading that at that particular time is that, for example, if you're going to do a, a knockdown and a rebuild in, mm-hmm. let's say, the inner north, mm-hmm. you would go in something called the code track. So it would still be a development application. And the purpose of exempt developments at the time was for greenfield sites, for new suburbs. and. Mm-hmm. Okay, that kind of made sense because mm. if, no one's living, if no one's living there.
0: There's not no impact on yeah, surrounding yeah, residents. Yeah.
1: And I guess that's what annoys me here is that it's as if they got the foot in the door and then used that because two years later, and I think it was, it was, it was in 2009, the Legislative Assembly allowed some changes to be made. And
0: w- within the Planning and Development
1: yeah, Act. Yeah, so what they did was they extended the use the application of exempt developments from new suburbs to existing suburbs.
0: What benefit is that to the government?
1: Oh, I suppose the benefit is is that more buildings get built and generates more money, I suppose, mm. at least in the short term. Mm.
0: In your view with less consideration for the continuity and the feel of local community so it doesn't necessarily have to be compliant or in harmony with the surrounding community well and this is an interesting residential properties is is that is that an issue
1: well definitely an issue because if you look at the code that applies for your typical suburban house it's called the oh what is it single dwelling Mm -hmm. uh, development code it actually says there as part of its intent that it is there to ensure that new buildings are consistent, complementary, yes. in harmony with the surrounding area.
0: So, is that code still in existence? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, it's still there. That's what the intent says. Okay, okay. And then you,
0: so that's the, part of the Act, the Planning not, not Development d- Act.
1: It's it's derivative from the Act. Okay. Okay. So there the, are the a number of their regulations and their codes, and the code. I think, as I recall, the code also feeds into the territory plan, which is the overarching plan. For the ACT, mm-hmm. well, actually, there's one level above it. There's the National Capital Plan, mm-hmm. and that's a federal document. Underneath the Territory Plan, you do have codes, and you also have zoning. The zoning goes in under that, and then under you know, in related to the zoning are also the codes that mm-hmm. provide guidelines on building. Now, the rules uh, in that code are made in such a way that if you extended your development you're building to the absolute limit of Mm -hmm. everything you're not going to be meeting the intent of where you're complementary right and that's where the problem comes and that's a general problem in planning you find a big disconnect between intent or the overarching Mm -hmm. thing and the implementation of what you think that intent Mm -hmm. is because Mm -hmm. when we did approach you know the planning authority about it they effectively said that, no, it doesn't have to meet the intent. It just has to meet the rules. So, so the and,
0: implementation is the rules.
1: Yes. And, the, and this is what's also interesting. A few months ago, there were some people had been in high levels as far as uh, Vancouver in, in Canada. And it was a bit of a uh, a conference on planning in the future of Canberra. And it was interesting to talk to these people because I, I specifically asked the person who had been the equivalent of the chief planner, and I said, in British Columbia, or at least in Vancouver, is meeting the intent required, whether or not you actually follow the rules. And he said, yes. He so
0: intent found- is just as important as implementation.
1: Yes, yes. Whereas here, it, it doesn't mean – seem- And related to that is the Coles Doma, if people are familiar with the development in Dixon. This is actually right across the street from Woolies. So if you go to Dixon and you go to Woolies, you're very likely going to park in the car park across the street from Woolies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going, okay? That's going to be gone. And Will
0: there be a car parking facility? There
1: will be, yes. So Will you
0: pay for that car parking? Yes, you will. Mm-hmm.
1: What is proposed to happen is there'll be a building put in there, and that'll have a Coles and an Aldi plus yes. some other commercial entities, plus residential flats above it. The problem comes where... A few years ago, there was a lot of consultation around something called the Dixon Master Plan. But it has a map, and the map gives you an idea of what you expect to be in there. For example, mm-hmm. there's supposed to be improved pedestrian connection between east and west, a uh, connection uh, over um, the drain with the pedestrian bridge sort of south of the shops. There's a lot of the things here. And so, but the main, one of the main things is this improved pedestrian connection. Well, when we talked to the developer who was mm-hmm. behind the Coles uh, DOMA project, uh, one of the issues I raised was that this doesn't look like it matches the, the, master de- the master plan. And his response to me was, well, we don't have to. We just uh, have
0: to comply with the rules.
1: Yeah, well, well, in this particular case, there's something called precinct code. The precinct code is supposed to implement the master plan, and that is what the developer follows. And in this particular case... It sounds like the planning authority thinks that we're were following that particular precinct code, but it's pretty obvious that the precinct code doesn't match what the master plan said. So if we're looking at how consultation works, we have this master plan that was made up with a lot of consultation. I I do recall that there was a lot spent on it. There was a lot of time and effort, both on the government side and and for residents giving up their time and contributing. And it's almost as if- It's been surpassed. Oh, yeah. It's been surpassed, put away, might as well be- gathering dust on a library shelf mm. somewhere and then there's this precinct code that most people won't really know about i wouldn't be surprised if it was out for review at some point but these things get very technical and most mm. people just can't most people are going to rely on most the government people are
0: just trying to get their kids into bed well exactly you and, your kids and maybe the- get enough sleep so they can get up for work the next day a yeah. precinct code's not really high on their priority it is our role to educate and inform people that this is something that exists and this is something worth being invested in
1: yeah, because what you find is uh, you know, a lot of people either they come to their, our meetings or they might ask us about things. There's a lot of stuff that they won't realize because, mm-hmm. well, I mean, the average person isn't you know delving mm-hmm. into it, nor should they. And I think that's part of the problem is that there is this – Expectation. And I think it's a reasonable expectation mm-hmm. and that when the government, as their representative, yes. has come out and said, here's what we want to do. What do you think? And here's, they say, well, here's what we think. And they come up with something that people seem to be reasonably mm-hmm. okay with. Mm-hmm. They're fully expecting that when that gets put into whatever code rules or whatever mm-hmm. that a developer is going to do within that area mm-hmm. c- that's covered by the master plan, that those rules or codes or whatever are actually going to match what's in the plan yes so to find out that it doesn't well it floored me on one hand and then I thought well actually <laughs> this has happened in a few other ways so disappointed but not surprised
0: you're tuned into Two X 98.3 FM the program is Subject ACT where we explore local current affairs from a curious and informed view my name is Becca Postorino, and that was an interview with North Canberra Community Council Chair Mike Hedinger on the changing face of property development in the ACT community. The ACT election gives community members the opportunity to voice concerns directly to candidates at the upcoming forum, Quiz Your Candidates, a free event to be held at Lynham Primary School, Tuesday the 20 September from 6.30pm. Tickets are available from Eventbrite, www.eventbrite.com.au. Stay with us now for more discussion regarding community concerns in the lead-up to the ACT elections. I met with Inner South Community Council Chair Gary Kent to unpick some of the issues relating to the Inner South. You're listening to Two XFM 98.3, Local Current Affairs Program, Subject ACT. I'm Becca Postorino. Welcome to the program, Gary.
2: Thanks, Becca, very much. Good to be here.
0: Gary, what is your role at the Inner South Community Council?
2: I'm the chair of the Community Council. I've been in that role now for the, the past three or four years and I was involved in the formation of the council in 2010.
0: What are recurring and ongoing concerns from the ACT Inner South community perspective?
2: Well, where do I start? It's been (laughs) a very busy six years. There's always uh, always something occurring in the Inner South. I think there are a number of uh, themes over the years that have emerged. One of them is heritage of the Inner South. It's a very old part of Canberra. Canberra doesn't have a lot of old buildings and uh, heritage areas, and we have more than our fair share in our part of Canberra. Parking is another one. Lots of people come to the Inner South for a whole range of reasons, shopping, schools, into the Parliamentary Triangle uh, to work, and parking is becoming a real bugbear of people who live in the Inner South. Another concern we have is rat running. The Inner South is really the... The hub for Canberra, many roads converge on the inner south and we have people running across the suburb. Very heavy congestion in the main through roads like Canberra Avenue, for example. Adelaide Avenue so traffic and transport is very important allied to that are our bus services there are issues Monica Oval is a big issue in the community what we call uh, urban infill people are concerned that the character of the inner south is changing are we going to in 50 years have any of the the lovely old suburbs and the streetscapes that we enjoy today they some of the many issues yeah. uh, confronting us uh, locally.
0: How important is heritage to the community members in, of the Inner South?
2: It's absolutely critical and uh, heritage uh, um, shows its face in so many ways. Mm. Uh, for example, recently our Kingston Barton Group, which is uh, a part of the Inner South Canberra community, received a government grant to uh, restore street lamps In Kingston and Barton That's an example of heritage There's a lot of street furniture Been in place in the inner south For a very long time Of course some of the suburbs In the inner south Are original suburbs They've been there since the 1920s So we have the street furniture We have many many old houses That have really been unaltered For nearly a hundred years in some Mm. cases Streetscapes We have parks Park benches Talopia Park um, Mm. Is an example of heritage Another iconic. It's really. iconic, mm. um, and there's nothing like it in Canberra. Really, we were recently successful in ensuring that the park remained under the control of the National Capital Authority. To give us the certainty, I guess, that its future would be protected. Another example of heritage which has been in the news recently is the Marnica Pool. The Marnica Pool, um, as most people might know, was built in the Great Depression. Yes. It's coming on to 80 years old, in fact, more than 80 years old. And there's not much in Canberra that is as old as that. That would be one of
0: the oldest buildings or, yeah, public spaces in Canberra.
2: It is one of the oldest. Um, There's not many that have been there that long. Another example is Marnica. The yes. Marnica shopping centre mm. still has a number of old buildings that that go back to the 1920s. If you're walking along the lane behind the Marnica shops, you will see little cottages at the yes. back, little red brick cottages that have been there a very long time and they're priceless. But there's so many other examples of heritage. Uh, some of the schools are very old. Uh, even Tulopia Park School has mm. been there uh, a long time, even in the newer suburbs, even in suburbs like Griffith and Red Hill. The houses when they were built were, in many cases, uh, government houses, but mm. they've been beautifully restored and, and they're they're very much popular, and, to and they're people. very much
0: part of Canberra. I mean, mu-
2: these- there's so much of that. Even the hedges, uh, you'll uh, <laughs> you can often walk. There are miles and miles, miles and miles of hedges in the uh, in the inner south. Yes, um, and there's some beautiful heritage homes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in uh, in this part of Canberra.
0: Heritage is obviously one thing. What is under threat, in your view? What is the argy-bargy that's going on between the Inner South community and the ACT government, if there is argy-bargy at all? What is the most contentious issue that you can speak of?
2: Well, there is argy-bargy, and that's to be expected in a, a part of Canberra where many people want to live, where many businesses want to locate, where there are sporting facilities. The argy-bargy, and it's usually good-natured, I might say, but Mm -hmm. the the argy-bargy relates to the fact that the government needs money. Much of the ACT uh, government uh, budget is funded by land sales Mm. and the government owns many blocks of land in the inner south Mm. and it is convenient for government to sell them to raise money. Now that is not going to go on forever. Eventually Mm. the land will run out but we don't believe that the character of our suburbs should be affected by the need for government revenue. We need to broaden the budgetary base. Mm. An example of that was the Canberra Brickworks development at Yarralumla and that was where the government in our view put forward a grossly over-egged housing development with hundreds and hundreds of units in a very fine part of old Canberra affecting Mm. the Avalumla Ridge and the brickworks. We felt that was simply unacceptable. Mm. And after much discussion with the government, uh, that's been negotiated down to a much more acceptable mm. precinct.
0: Are you happy with the outcomes that you negotiated with? We are. We are.
2: In in fact, there was a community panel established. I was a member of that, which provided advice to the government on what the community wanted to see in the new development. Mm. And it went to areas like bike paths mm-hmm. and uh, access to other... Forms of transport, mm. preserving the brickworks, which is really the outstanding industrial heritage part of the the ACT, making sure that their adaptive reuse mm. was an important part of the of the redevelopment, and uh, we're confident that the developers uh, will provide something special mm. at the at the brickworks. There's a lot more work to do to ensure that occurs. Mm. That was one example w- where the government's new style of consultation has been effective, mm. and we're hoping there'll be a lot more of that in the future in the past too often we were told well this is it this is what's going to happen take it or leave it mm. and you'd have a then you'd have a series of uh, high profile community reactions in terms mm. of public meetings demonstrations letter writing a lot of upset in the community we're hoping that we can turn that on its head in future and the government starts consulting early so that we can all be of the of the same mind as mm-hmm. the development proceeds one mm. recent successful example of that was red hill yes where there's been a tremendous downsizing in the scale of the proposed red hill development another community panel i think the government is learning that they can get much better outcomes by talking to the community first Mm. rather than at the end of the process
0: there is a logic to consultation because if there is a blind or just an avoidance of that discussion with community members i would imagine that it will come back to bite the government in the future or any develop any forecast development communities aren't latent, <laughs> no. that they are actually living and quite vocal and I think these are very personal things a uh, community is very personal in particular the architecture and development of communities is intrinsic to the identity of a
2: community That's so absolutely right and uh, if it's not done well it will come back to bite and we've seen many examples of that recently many examples where things weren't done properly and the argy-bargy as we call it has mm. become pretty acrimonious mm. it's so important that we talk at an early stage and Canberra has a highly literate, engaged community. Absolutely. There are many ex public servants and planners who know how the system works. They're not going to be bought off with any old line, and they do get engaged and uh, they do appreciate the character of their suburbs. Mm. They know that we as well as being a place for the local community, it's also the the national capital. People in the Inner South recognise that we really need to be an exemplar to the rest of Australia Mm, in terms of what we can demonstrate here.
0: What would you like to see from both sides of politics in terms of addressing community interests, particularly for Inner South or more broadly ACT?
2: At a higher level, we really want transparency in planning. At the moment, we don't think that the community is getting a fair deal from the planning processes. The developers, the government... The financiers seem to have the inside running with the community coming at poor last. The community doesn't have the funds to uh, take part extensively in the appeal mechanisms available, Mm. such as the Supreme Court, Mm. ACAT, etc.
0: Is that that the process? Just Um, to clarify for listeners, if there was an appeal, it would go to the Supreme Court at first and then to ACAT or would it go ACAT Supreme Court? It
2: depends on the case. There are some that go to ACAT and then the Supreme Court or Magistrates Court Occasionally, other times they go directly to the Supreme Court, and they are hugely expensive processes. And the community does not have the funds with it to undertake mm. the appeal. My uh, council receives a grant of $12,000 a year from the government, which, for which we're very grateful. And we use that to represent the views of the community to the ACT mm. government and the Assembly, but that doesn't fund any, any appeals. Mm. And so we rely on volunteers mm. to do that work for us. They do that in, the, in their free time. So um, the
0: research into that...
2: A tremendous amount of research, mm. photocopying. Mm. We do have a number of illegal people who do it uh, gratis for us. But we would like a planning system where we're a more level playing field, I suppose, mm. where the community is better resourced to engage in mm. the planning process. Mm. Now, we hope that matters don't have to be appealed, but mm. occasionally they do. Yes. And we feel as though we're missing out at the at the moment. I think many in the community sector would support the creation of an ICAC, to, in terms of transparency,
0: that's an A- ACT ICAC.
2: ACT ICAC. Mm. We do believe that there are the conflicts of interest that exist in the ACT are really quite extraordinary. Mm. People move from job to job between the development sector, mm. between government. Between unions and developers, yes. and there's really not a, a proper check on that. There's been a number of examples recently where there appears to have been improper use of funds mm. and the like. I won't name them, of mm-hmm. course, but there has been a, a number of examples where the community has been let down very, very badly, including some developments uh, in the in the south. Another matter we're keen to see at a at a high level is the question of deconcessionalisation of leases. Many community bodies are granted. Uh, Deconcessionalised leases—the leases, the leases are, are given to them are free or very cheaply. More leases for clubs, sporting clubs, and the like. Particularly at the moment, those in the news have been football clubs, and the um, the clubs then use those leases to to uh, make a lot of money. The original so community. So they're getting
0: concessions, but they're, they're actually making great profit.
2: Great profit out of it. So mm. land, community open space given to clubs for f- uh, football grounds and the like, are turned into high density apartments Mm. the community has lost a very significant asset and the the only thing we have to show for it is high density living is not what we want to see Mm. we think the government could be a lot more transparent as to how those leases are managed we need a register of leases so we know exactly what is what is around and uh, what is being converted
0: You've been listening to Two 2XFM 98.3 on local current affairs program, Subject ACT, exploring issues from an independent and curious gaze. That was Inner South Community Council Chair Gary Kent, representing concerns regarding the Inner South community. Next week, I further explore issues from neighbouring community councils to gather insights across the ACT in the lead-up to the ACT elections. Tomorrow, Doug Dobing presents Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT and coming up next, Community Radio Network's topical storytelling, All the Best. Tune in each weekday from 8.30 till 9am for independent and local current affairs on Subject ACT or listen live on www.2xfm.org.au. Backslash listen. Thanks for your company today on 2XFM ninety-eight point three Subject ACT. I'm Becca Postorino. Enjoy your day.